0: Hey everyone,
1: welcome to Insert Game here. My name is Brian, and I'm Addison, and I'm Jared. A couple weeks, well, uh, not just a couple weeks ago, like a little longer than that. Um, a little, a little, uh, a little indie game called Elden Ring hit the scene. You, you may not have heard of it. I don't know; it's kind of like not very well known or something. It's kind of small. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a cult following of the entire world. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but I I mean in all seriousness, uh Elden Ring has been a massive, massive success all across the world. It has, it has become the most successful uh game that FromSoft has ever released so far, as far as we've seen. Um, it has taken the world by storm. It is like it, it the sales numbers, like I haven't I, I don't have the sales numbers pulled up in front of me right now, but the sales numbers are like, massive. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like 10 million copies already sold. I think it's something around that number. And it hasn't been around for that long. And it's already topping, like, active player counts on Steam. So this game is huge right now. Which, I mean, I can attest to because I've been playing the heck out of it. Yeah, it's Um, been great fun. I've been enjoying it. Which I believe, Brian, you're the only one of us who has not played it. I have not played, no. Just to kind of like fill some people, some v- some viewers in on what we're talking about. Though uh, after Elden Ring came out, um, there was a lot of praise, but there was also some criticism that was being thrown around. In that, um, Elden Ring is not necessarily a game that appeals to everyone. Every time a FromSoft game comes out, there's always the discussion that gets kickstarted of should it have an easy mode or not. You know, like that was a big discussion with when Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice came out which was it's it's a really difficult game and people wanna experience the story and they want an easy mode so that they can go through it without having to worry about like the immense difficulty that these games have to offer, um, which, a whole, it, which is a whole different discussion in and of itself, but that's not what we wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is a different criticism that has been getting thrown around and it's actually a bit of an interesting one. Not long after Elden Ring came out, there were some video game developers who actually uh, took to Twitter and they voiced their thoughts on uh, Elden Ring? It did raise an interesting conversation. So I'll go ahead and read the the tweets here. I think the first one is from a Ubisoft developer. He says, "Quote: The fact that Elden Ring scored a 97 Metacritic score is proof that reviewers don't give a flaming poop about game UX. My life is a lie." And then another video game developer followed up uh, that tweet saying, nor PC graphics, stability, and performance, apparently. And then finally, I believe this is a uh, a developer who worked on uh, Horizon Forbidden West who followed up and said, nor quest design, really.
2: <laughs> That's a lot to unpackage right in there. Yeah. But it really is. <laughs> it really is. Honestly, if I had to say something really really big that's important to consider here. I feel like a lot of those are Western and European developers.
1: Yeah. And Elden Ring is an Eastern developed game. It was developed in Japan. Right.
2: Which that right there, just even looking at cultural differences of how they tell stories and things like that is going to drastically influence this discussion. Right.
1: So it, it, it it was a, it was a string of tweets that started a very, very large, debate over uh this game and uh one one thing i wanted to share that's actually kind of funny somebody saw those tweets and photoshopped together what elden ring should look like (laughs) in the opinions of these uh these game developers
2: yeah and the the graphic that you showed us i can see it because whenever i played phoenix immortals rising that's kind of what it was like
1: yep Because Phoenix Immortals Rising, it follows pretty much the same kind of open world game formula that we've been seeing from developers for over a decade now. Like, the formula for the open world game has kind of stagnated in a lot of ways from a lot of these big AAA studios to where when there's an open world coming out like Far Cry or Immortals Phoenix Rising or Horizon, you kind of already know what's coming before you even play it.
2: Right. And maybe that's why people have latched on to Elden Ring so much is because it is a breath of fresh air, because it's so different.
1: Yep. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like Elden Ring, it definitely took a lot of hints from Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild... It was, one of, it was like the open world game that kind of went off the beaten path and did something extremely different that is not very much in line with the traditional open world game, though it did still have its hands a little bit in that old open world formula that was, let's be honest here, mostly started and standardized by Ubisoft.
0: I feel like we're coming into a new era of gaming where if you look at, you mentioned Breath of the Wild, you look at Zelda Breath of the Wild, and then another game I'm going to bring up is actually uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Mm-hmm. And both of these games have something in common. They take the formula that has been established by the games prior to them within their specific franchise, and they broke those formulas.
1: Yep. It turned the formula on its head. Exactly,
0: formulas are meant to be broken in time; otherwise, yep. a game will get stale. And I'm yep. looking. I'm looking at this uh, again. I've. I've not. I'm not familiar with the uh, the Souls franchise, uh, but I'm looking at this image that that you posted, and I'm like, "There's way too much here. How can you simply enjoy the game mm-hmm. with all this crap on the screen?"
2: Yeah, is and that's not really what it actually looks like. That, in a game. That's the meme. I just wanted to clarify yeah. that. No, no, no I, yeah, I, I, I just, get that. I, I do okay. get that.
0: That that is the meme, and I fully understand the meme because <laughs> this is what people are wanting, or uh, this is what developers are wanting. Um, yeah. Now I'm, I'm going to ask you this question here again from an outsider: If Elden Ring was released as brand new game from an unknown developer it's the first of its franchise would it be as popular
1: it's hard to say because Elden Ring is such a product of um, games that have released in the past because Elden Ring is a culmination of all of the best things about FromSoft's previous games Um, it it draws from Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, it draws from Bloodborne, it draws from Sekiro, it draws from Demon Souls. Like it, It's basically the culmination of everything that FromSoft has learned, all packed into one big game.
2: Right. But uh, to address this question more specifically, because I remember whenever the first Demon Souls game came out. And it had a strong cult following, and it was kind of a, this is weird, this is completely different, this is completely out of nowhere, I hadn't seen any advertising or marketing, but because people gave it a shot, and they were like, oh, I actually kind of like this, it gave it that opportunity to grow. So honestly, I would say it probably wouldn't have had the rampant like acceptance that it has, because it is a bit of a more well-known franchise now. But I think people would have actually eventually gravitated towards it, just because it I feel it stands that strong on its own.
1: Yep, it's very different from other open world games because open world games, as I said before, I've kind of like the, the formula has gotten stagnant so much so that people are begging for something fresh.
2: And that's the th- that's the thing that I think really stands out here is that it stands out. It's different. It It is something unique that is contrasting with everything else. So if it's like in... Uh, Film design where we use juxtaposition and contrast to get you to pay attention to things. So let's say the entire scene is, you know, lit in like a blue light, but then we have one object in a uh, frame that's red.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's what Elden Ring is it's the red object, it's the one that is different from everything else, and it stands out like a sore thumb
1: yep and that's why people find it interesting is that it does things so drastically differently from how a lot especially a lot of western developers have kind of become accustomed to over the years mm-hmm. um, now i would like to
2: go ahead and jump into like some of the more specifics that you've talked about because one of the first things that you let off with was uh talking about how like this doesn't appeal to everyone
1: yeah why and does to- it need to and that's exactly the conversation that has been brought up is that I think the problem that these Western developers have and the reason why they're um, expressing these criticisms is because of the fact that, you know, not everyone is going to be able to enjoy Elden Ring. And, you know, there's so many people like I've heard, uh, not not video game developers specifically, but Like I've seen people say things like, you know, how are people who just want to experience a game story, they're not looking for like extreme difficulty they're not looking for like these extremely different experiences they just want something that is like fun and easy to get through how are they going to be able to experience this and my answer to that is why do they have to it's not that i'm trying like it's not really gatekeeping to say that it's more just a game can be allowed to be something else that is not an experience that other people will enjoy and it can yeah. still be an experience that other people can enjoy
0: Well, that's the beauty of gaming. There is no one game that is meant for everybody. Everybody's Mm -hmm. needs are different. Everyone's desires are different. Going back to Zelda, there are two distinct styles of Zelda games. There are dungeon crawlers and there are overworld adventures. Mm -hmm. And there are some people like me who prefer... An overworld adventure who loves games like the original and Breath of the Wild, where you're just going out there to see what you can find. Then there are Mm -hmm. other people like my wife who prefer a more dungeon-crawly experience like Twilight Princess. But Zelda understands this. They're not trying to make one game that all Zelda fans will enjoy. They take turns so that everybody gets their fill. And uh, I, I think that people need to to kind of realize <laughs> just because this specific
1: souls game isn't for you <laughs> doesn't mean it's not for others yep exactly and i think i think what it really boils down to is that the reason why people are upset that they like the game isn't meant for their taste and therefore they can't enjoy it and then they criticize it for not being that i think it just boils down to people just they hear the craze and they want to be part of it fomo but, you know what i mean it Exactly. Fear of missing out. People people don't want to miss out on something that's really popular right now. So when they see so many people enjoying something, but they themselves can't enjoy it, you know, that's when they start saying things like what these developers are saying. Actually, uh,
2: since y'all mentioned that, are y'all familiar with the, uh, the book publishing prank that was pulled a long time ago? You have to be Uh, more specific. You Um, have to be more specific. Yeah. There was (laughs) a, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, um, but essentially a radio talk show host uh, that did like a a night program. So he had a very like select group of listeners. Uh, he wanted to pull a prank based off of that concept of FOMO, to, you know, people that fear missing out. And he wanted to catch people red handed that they lied about something So what he did is he started to get his listeners in on a gag to where they would all go to like bookstores and uh, publishing areas and things like that and start requesting a book that did not exist. And so as time went on, publishers started saying like, hey, where's this book? People want this book. Why can't we get this book? And it took like a long period of time to where now people are starting to say, oh, yeah, I've read it. I, you know, I've re- I remember this book. Oh, I like what they did with this book, and it was it was all intentionally set up with that concept of catching people who want to be a part of something, even if it doesn't exist. And I'm not calling like the developers this, but it's that concept of some people want to get on the bandwagon so badly to be a part of something that they are willing to accept falsities as fact. And when that happens people will sometimes latch on to these falsities and accept them as truth when they are not because they might not know better because they might be getting the secondhand information. And this is one of my big problems with the internet is the falsification and verification of information because you don't know where the sources are coming from sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it it's so true. People just want to be a part of the current big thing. And right mm-hmm. now... Elden Ring is the current big thing that's going on in gaming right now. And people who don't enjoy this kind of game are looking at this hype and they're like, I want to be a part of the hype. And I, uh, cause you can interpret this in two different ways
2: and maybe this is me being a little bit maniacal, but, uh, it could either be that they are jealous of the success or they want to be a part of it and they want to get on the bandwagon, but they don't fully understand it. But I feel like sometimes, especially whenever you're reading like social media, it can come off as the first when it's trying to be the second. They just didn't word it the best way, especially whenever you have a character limit. But the way that I'm interpreting it is they genuinely don't understand why this is appealing to that many people when it is something that's very different.
1: You can actually tell that from the way one of them worded it. Uh, the way they worded it is that, you know, the fact that it scored a 97 on Metacritic is proof that viewers don't give a flaming poop about game UX. That tells me that he doesn't understand why people like this game. Mm-hmm. He He's he's having a hard time trying to come to, to grip with like, like, you know, this UX is not the way that, most UX designers are supposed to design a good UX. Why do people like this game?
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think I can make a good analysis for this. So bear with me for a second. So are y'all familiar with the three types of video? Again,
0: you'll have to be more specific.
2: No. <laughs> okay. So I'll start from the, bar- the, the base then. In, in video production, we typically have three different types of videos that we would categorize, you know, visual media. We have narrative fiction, which would be, uh, you know, theater productions, stories, you know, the traditional mainstream media. That is narrative fiction. A lot of commercial is also narrative fiction because you're promoting products and other things like that. But it's you're creating a fake scenario for that to happen. Then we have documentary, which is factual video. So things to more spread information. I think... Game developers are currently looking at the lens of these two without considering the third, which is avant-garde or experimental video. If you want to think of it that way, Elden Ring is an experimental video game franchise because they are going with completely different ideas and concepts than what mainstream quote unquote game developers would do. It's an avant-garde video game
1: that actually makes a lot of sense. And that probably goes, that it completely explains why developers are having a hard time understanding why this kind of game can actually work. Yep, And it also explains why there is such an uproar among those who are
0: upset about it. Because let's again compare this with Pokemon. Um, You could easily say the same about Pokemon Legends Arceus. It is a very avant-garde Pokemon game. It changes a lot of things. But Game Freak decided to Do this experimental game on an offshoot game, not one of their mainline titles, so that the hardcore fans who will not appreciate the changes will be like, oh, well, it's okay. It's just a side story.
2: It's almost like uh, they have a raft, and this game was like on an inner tube on a very thin rope. And if it didn't do well, they would just cut it off and let it
1: drift out the sea, never to be seen again. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas Elden Ring is different. Where FromSoft kind of bet everything on it.
0: Yeah it it's been the most anticipated game for how many years?
1: For a few years, like ever, like ever since it was first teased, like something like three years ago.
0: Yeah. It's Kingdom Hearts three all over again, where it was so anticipated that when the final result came out, when it didn't, le- when it didn't live up to some people's expectations, it just fell flat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas
1: it did, it did live up to a lot of other people's expectations True. in a lot of ways. So, which I mean, you know, I'm personally not a fan of Kingdom Hearts three, but I can understand why people enjoy it. Looking at you, Frozen World. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. that's a different Kingdom discussion.
2: Hearts three was a bad example, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right. I get what you're saying. It's the the hype factor that people build up their own expectations, and then it almost it's almost like Duke Nukem, where it's going to be impossible to live up to the hype, and then everybody's just sad.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. well, like that. Yeah, like probably the ultimate example of that is Half Life three. Like Valve themselves have stated that. Probably the reason they're never going to make Half-Life 3 is because how could they possibly live up to the expectations of that game at this point? Right. But then they made the VR thing, so that was kind of cool. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't
2: officially Half-Life 3. But actually, uh, since we're talking about it, have y'all heard of the Burner Theory?
1: I have not. You'll have to enlighten me.
2: So this is a business concept that I heard about from one of the clients I worked with. Uh, If you have something that does, or like, you have a bunch of people anticipating something, So uh, we'll use like Duke Nukem as a reference. So if you have something that is so popular that people are chomping at the bit for it, however, you know, you are never going to be able to live up to the expectations of what people want. The way to stymie their expectations is to release a burner, meaning something that is going to allow them to get that franchise out there people are going to dislike it intentionally, but then the next one that you release is going to overshoot their expectations because now they've been bottomed out. Interesting. And that's the burner theory, is that sometimes you intentionally release something bad, so then the next thing looks better by contrast.
0: So what you're trying to tell me was the Wii U as a burner.
1: <laughs> pretty much <laughs> if you want to think of it that way <laughs> i it, don't i don't know i'm pretty sure that wasn't intentional but i mean to a degree maybe <laughs> right but i mean it ended up having that effect it's where it's almost like
2: it leapfrogs a generation but yeah. th- i i'm not i don't know necessarily where that would apply but it's an interesting like philosophy of sometimes you have to stymie people's expectations so that they can actually be realistic
0: yeah well no i get it it's like uh with you know, with music because yeah I'm a musician I relate to a lot of things with music um you can't create a musical piece that just goes up 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 and up you ha- it has to have hills and valleys mm-hmm. and, and uh yeah to to bring a an audience back in order to push them forward I, I can understand that
1: yep by kind of bringing that expectation down mm-hmm. so that you can then bring it back up had never mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it put that,
2: that
0: That's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, really that is interesting. very interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I heard that from a client, and I was just like, that's fascinating. It, like, I literally spent like a week thinking on it, just like, where has that been used before? Was oh, it yeah. intentional? Was it not intentional? What? Oh no, I'm gonna be like <laughs> the next week in my mind
0: doing the same thing. I'm gonna lose sleep over this. I guarantee you guys <laughs> yeah, I am going <laughs> to lose Me too. Sleep I'm gonna be thinking this. about like
1: what games, what movies have been put out that like were intentionally let down that were immediately followed up by something awesome maybe this is why okay in a
0: trilogy the second movie is usually the letdown
2: there you go the
1: burner theory oh man (laughs) oh man (laughs) (laughs) temple of doom was underwhelming by intention (laughs) well i actually have a question for addison here because we,
0: we've talked about some of the, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here, issues of Elden Ring, or rather the issues that a lot of uh, uh, game developers and some players have, it, but it appears to be that they're missing the point of why Elden Ring is so popular. So I'm going to ask you, as I, I, I know you are a huge fan
1: of Elden Ring, you are loving the game, why is it so good? The reason it's so good is because it's just a game where you can just start playing it and just go. Elden Ring is basically Dark Souls meets Breath of the Wild. And what I mean by that is it's obviously a Dark Souls game, but the Breath of the Wild factor comes in in the fact that it is a huge, huge, epic world that you can just go and explore and just discover things at your own wit. Like, I like my favorite thing to do in Elden Ring is to just get on my horse, go wandering around and just see what I find. And like, I'll just see something interesting in the distance and I'll just be like, what's that? And I'll just go check it out. And then it's like, oh, this seems cool. And all of a sudden there's like this big colossal thing that starts attacking me. I'm like, oh, I'm finding a big boss now. This is awesome. And you then become determined to beat this boss because it's like you discovered this massive monster that's attacking you now. And so now you're just like you want to overcome this new challenge that you've that you've discovered. And when you've like when you've you're done beating your head against that wall and you finally overcome that challenge, you get a reward for it, whether it be a new spell, an incantation, or a piece of armor or a weapon or something. Um, or like a unique item. Um like, yeah, just,
2: over overcoming the unexpected is rewarded.
1: Yes, that's what it is. It's like it, it's the fact that you can just discover things at your own leisure. The game's not trying to push you to do anything. You just do what you want in this huge world, and then you just discover these awesome things on your own. And then if like and in those discoveries, you find new challenges that you can overcome, and you will always be well rewarded for your accomplishments. The things that a lot of these
0: critics are saying is. The UI is faulty because it's giving you no information. It's not telling you where you should be going. It's not giving you a list of, of tasks that you're supposed to be doing so that you exactly. know what you're supposed and to be doing. But the whole the beauty point. of the game is you don't need that. You, exactly. It's all that's about the just exploring. Point. And, and right. so the user interface is important, and, and those little things are important to game design. User experience or player experience is the most important thing of all.
2: Right. And kind of like what they did with like Sekiro to where it was a lot more cinematic, the default settings of Elden Ring turn off the entire UI when you're not in combat.
1: You're
2: you're getting a full frame view of the world, the environment, what's on the horizon. This game has a really ridiculous like render distance. Like I know that was one of the problems I had with Pokemon legends Arceus is things would pop in and out of existence in the distance, or uh, you would start to see the low resolution models in the distance. Their animations look kind of chunky because the switch couldn't handle that. But since this is on the PC and uh, the more powerful consoles, you're able to actually get that experience of, oh, I'm in a huge, expansive world and I can see things way off in the distance. Like one of the most uh, influential moments of whenever I was playing the game was actually Addison was the troll that led me to this is I was running around in a swamp and uh, just all the way at like the edge of the distance of the world I see this big black orb just come hurtling in my direction and I'm like what is that (laughs) (laughs) And, and it turns out it was a dragon and it tried to kill me but it's moments like that that it delivers on time and time again you might be walking through the woods and you see this big brown Thing in the trees, and you're just like, "What's that?" I want to go see it, and it's a giant bear that wants to maul your face off. <laughs> I led you to that too, right? But it it, 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 the thing that I think that is interesting about it is sometimes though it it isn't always hostile because there was a point where like I saw a giant reading a book sitting on the cliffside, and I was just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> what's this? And then he's like, oh hey, what's up? <laughs> and I talked with them. And it's just like, I feel like it's those subtle encounters though that make the game like so much more impactful because some of the characters stand out because they're so different.
1: Yeah. And I think this is where this is where I think that like, you know, something like a quest tracker would kind of ruin the experience for me. Because like, like just to give an example of like the kind of experience you can have in this game. Is um I remember going into like uh like into the woods in one part of the game I was exploring. I found a ruin. And in the ruin was like a sleeping bear, like one of those huge bears that uh Jared here knows about. In the in around the same area, I was hearing an odd kind of howling noise. Like it wasn't like a standard wolf enemy that you would run into. Like it sounded like just a regular person howling. And I was wondering what it was. I was looking around, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure out. Like what it was that I was hearing, so I just kind of moved on, fought the bear, uh, got the reward that he was guarding, and then moved on. Well, I eventually came across a merchant who um, I mentioned the howling to, and he apparently knew about it. And he's just like, "Oh yeah, you heard the howling. Next time you're in that area where you heard the howling, um, use this gesture and uh, like snap your fingers, and you should meet the the person who's howling. I'm sure you guys will get along just fine." So then you go back and you snap your fingers and then there's this like just big wolf man who just jumps down and lands in front of you. And he's just like, hey, I'm looking for a man. I want to kill him. Can you help me kill him? And I'm just like, sure. And he just he he like he does like all he does is kind of give you a vague description of like where this person ran off to. He just kind of points you in a direction and it's up to you to kind of go the direction that he points you to, kind of figure things out for yourself, fill in the blanks. And then you eventually figure out that um, that the man he's looking for is a boss in this specific arena. And if you beat him, you'll find the wolfman kind of standing outside the arena and he thanks you for your help and gives you a reward. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a quest tracker would kind of ex- like ruin an experience like that because it's, it's kind of like that was a quest that I kind of discovered on my own. Yeah, I kind of yeah. put the pieces together myself. It's
2: realistic to what would happen if this was real, because if you had encountered this in real life, you would have heard that. You would have been like, what is that? And you probably would have mentioned it to the next person you talked to. Like, hey, do you know about this? That's kind of weird. That word of mouth kind of thing spreading about Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at that point now, he had to point you in the direction. That's what they would do in real life because we don't have quest markers in real life. Yep. Well, I feel like this is
0: the kind of experience that game makers were wanting to do decades ago. Back Mm -hmm. with the first consoles, with the first games, but there were limitations. They they, they couldn't do this. And so these things, like, like a linear progression or a quest system, these things that are put in place were put there because of limitations, because we do not have the hardware capabilities to create an open world and let you go explore and put enough interesting things in there to allow you to do it yourself. And so they have to kind of guide your way or put you on a linear track to make the game interesting. But now that we are finally in an era where we have the technology to make these amazing experiences where you can just go out and experience things on your own we are so ingrained to have these quest systems that it feels like something's missing without it
1: and i think i think a lot of it too also has to do with like the like a lot of people who play video games now they just want to follow a storyline they just want to be mm-hmm. like they 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 just want to like you know, know where they got to go to continue the storyline so that they can experience the story.
2: I had somebody put it a brilliant way. Oh, what was it? Um, They wanted to walk in a movie.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's what it is. They want to walk in a movie. And I want to make it clear, like, you know those game those kinds of games can exist like i'm not like i'm not criticizing like other games for having things like quest markers and quest trackers and stuff like that i mean i i some of my favorite games of all time have those exact things mm-hmm. um but elden ring is an example of a game that can exist that does things differently than those other games yep it's just it it's not necessarily like Killing off the idea of having like a more linear tracker system, uh, like you would see in something like Final Fantasy 14 or uh, Xenoblade Chronicles or Far Cry. Um, Yeah, it's not a bad system. I'm not saying it is a bad system. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad system. And, you know, it certainly has its place, obviously. It's just, it's more like there's room for games like Elden Ring too, where like there isn't just a direct thing telling you what to do and where to go. But rather letting the you, the player, figure things out for yourself. That's what made my
0: experience in Breath of the Wild so amazing. Because I uh, mm-hmm. when I was streaming Breath of the Wild, I, I got, I, I had completed all four Divine Beasts and I was getting close into the, the game and someone pointed out, Why haven't you gone and get your your tunic yet? And I was like, You mean the blue one? I don't know. I've been waiting for it because it looks cool. I've seen it everywhere and I haven't been able to find it. And they're like, Well, you're supposed to go get it after the first Divine Beast. And I was like, how was I supposed to know? Well, it shows up in your quest markers. And that's when I learned I've had quest markers turned off for the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad I did because I legitimately had to seek out each Divine Beast by myself without a little icon showing me where it was. And it made the game amazing for me. And I, now I yeah, tell yeah. everybody, turn it off before you start because it's so yep. much more fun without those little pings telling you where to go.
2: Yeah, it it ruins the sense of adventure for me because I don't have the opportunity to uh, explore because whenever I play a video game, I love the idea of I'm going into uncharted territory. I know um, in Japanese culture, uh, uh, isekais, animes, uh, it's, you know, uh, I think it literally translates into like another world. It's where one character is now getting brought to a different reality, essentially and i feel like that's what they want to do for the player because you take on the role of this character that you know is part of you know the elden ring universe but that character is an extension of yourself kind of like how link is very androgynous and doesn't speak it's so you can relate to them and put your own emotions and feelings into the character and i think that's what they're going for with elden ring is they want you to put yourself in the shoes of your character that you control and experience the world as if it was this is your new reality.
1: Exactly. This is your new reality and you need to live it and you need to live it however you wish to live it.
2: There is actually one other concept that I wanted to touch on real quick. It's actually like the genre of Elden Ring. And I think that influences the design a lot. If you had to categorize like what type of video game this was as if it was like a film genre tag, what would you give it?
1: I would probably call it an action adventure game um, or an open world game
2: hmm
1: So along those lines. Um, I know that uh, when Nintendo put out Breath of the Wild, they actually kind of uh, coined their own term for the kind of game that Breath of the Wild is. They actually said, they said, we don't like to call it an open world game. They prefer to call it an open air game, which sounds weird. I but understand I understand that. Yeah, I, it sounds weird at first, but then when you think about it, it's just like, you know what? That actually does kind of make sense because Open world signifies that it's just another like Ubisoft-esque formulaic open world game, whereas open air... You spend a lot of time gliding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it implies a sense of freedom. You know, like you taking right. in the, the air yeah. of the world and you go to, to explore ever, all the wonders of it.
2: Based off of what you've heard, Brian, what would you go with for a game like this? I, I, I was thinking along the action-adventure film action adventure yeah so that's where i differ from y'all because if i had to categorize this i would call it post-apocalyptic fantasy
1: Hmm. yeah i mean breath of wild is the same thing yeah
2: right but with elden ring it's you know ancient civilizations are you know all or well they're all messed up they're falling apart you're in the remnants of a world there's all sorts of things that have happened and you have to kind of explore and figure out like you know what happened to all these people or areas and regions and, you know, why are they like this? But it does it in a very lore, esoteric, soft kind of way. It doesn't, like, spoon-feed you lore, like, this is what happened to our people. Uh, yeah, There's no crotchety old man that's going to give you everything, you know, of, like, you know, this is the ancient histories of our
1: people and all that. You have to figure it out on your own. These games have always done that with things like, you know, hiding lore and things like item descriptions and um, an obscure dialogue.
2: Right. But uh, the way I was going to tie this in into the game design talk is for something that's post apocalyptic fantasy, there isn't a lot of stuff there. Nature has taken over. Uh, There's ruins scattered about there's, you know, ancient primordial evil creatures about, you know, dragons and whatnot and, you know, illusions and all that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely fits that, you know, fantasy and post apocalyptic kind of symbiosis. But I think that that boiled over into the design of like the user interface, because in that kind of environment, it would make sense to have a very minimalist UI. Mm-hmm. Which minimalism is a very popular design style in Japanese culture. Less is more, yeah, and yep. i
0: I feel that kind of flowing into our culture. there minimalism is is a, a huge trend right now, and actually something that I've been kind of taking on myself, where, like you said, less is more. When you cut back, when you start when you start to peel away things, it opens up your your world
2: to be able to take in more yep Mm -hmm. it's our uh current day hippie movement
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean i totally i totally see what you're saying about uh like the post-apocalypse kind of uh fantasy that they're Mm -hmm. going for here because it having that minimalist um identity because it's like a post-apocalypse kind of world just kind of goes to show that you know from a lore standpoint it does kind of make sense that there's not really a whole lot that your character has access to in their adventure
2: yep especially if you start as a what was it a wretch i mean you yeah. literally just have a loincloth and a club
1: yep which that <laughs> which that's how you started you started as a wretch
2: yep so i wanted to start i, I wanted to to be the uh, solid snake for liquid snake from metal gear solid 3 i'm dropping in naked and i'm gonna find everything on location
0: <laughs> and how's that worked for you so far
2: uh, I can slap dragons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, quite well, but, uh, the beginning was a bit rough, <laughs> although I will not lie. It is very satisfying using some of the weapon arts to just, uh, you have this really big weapon, but then you just replace the weapon art with literally a move just called kick and you just kick things to death or kick things off cliffs. It has become my favorite pastime. <laughs> just lure something to a cliff and just kick. <laughs> I've, I've essentially just been reenacting Sparta or uh, Sparta. Uh, yeah. Uh, 300. Oh, yeah, yeah, 300. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where he kicks him, the, the one dude into the pit. Mm-hmm. Very satisfying.
0: So do you think that Elden Ring is going to to create a shift in the gaming industry as as far as the, these things that, that have been that are clearly different? you think it's uh, I think, to kind of cause a shift, I, not necessarily in the gaming industry, but w- in particular
1: with open world games? I think that um, what Elden Ring is doing is it's kind of like, I, I feel like this trend was actually started by Breath of the Wild, where Breath of the Wild was the game that kind of flipped the open world concept on its head. Um, it still had its hands in some of the traditional formulas, you know things you know little things like you know you find a tower and the tower un- opens up a whole section of the map for you you know things like that um, so but it's overall it still kind of started to flip the concept on its head to where I think a lot of people in the industry were starting to pay attention of like, ooh this, actually seems like it actually kind of works. And I think what happened here is that FromSoft kind of was also taking notes um with what that game did and they decided, you know what? We want to make a game that's a culmination of uh of everything that we've done with the Soulsborne series. Let's see if we could do something like this. And Elden yeah, Ring just kind of took it to the next level. And that's why I think they
2: didn't continue the actual like Dark Souls franchise because Dark Souls itself is very, I don't want to say linear, but the progression is more railroaded than Elden Ring, where Elden Ring, you pretty much have access to like everything at the beginning, just about Uh, there's very few actual like true gatekeepers in the game. Whereas in Dark Souls, you pretty much had to clear things in a, particular order just because of the natural like strength progression of your character. So I feel like the this is the first of the like Souls games that is truly open world. And I think that's where we're getting into the point to where I think this is the bigger thing influencing it. Breath of the Wild was definitely the proof of concept that put the idea in people's heads, but I feel like we are at the point technologically that allows developers like from software to actually execute on their ideas to the fullest extent
1: that's what i think happened like breath of the wild was the catalyst and elden ring is just taking that idea to the next level Mm
2: -hmm. because elden ring is like the has it's the game with like the highest like specs for like minimum requirements to play it right
1: yeah. The, like, I was honestly very shocked by the uh, minimum requirements to play it on PC. Like they for, for like minimum requirements, like those, they were steep, like a minimum of a GTX 1060 just to run the game. Like that's steep, <laughs> but you can see mm-hmm. why it's required now.
2: Yeah. Right. And I think that is something that is stymieing the progress of the video game industry. Uh, I know that they have the E rating. E is for everyone. Uh, e is also the meme for EA, but uh, in terms of video games, it doesn't have to appeal or be accessible to everyone. As long as your target demographic is the one that you're hitting and you can make a profit
1: off of it, then you can make a video game. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's, and there's nothing wrong with being somebody who just wants to play a game for like a good story. If like, if, if, if you just want a good story and you know, the gameplay is kind of a means to an end for you. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's fine. Everybody has their different ways of playing games, you know, like, like if story is the main thing you care about, that's fine. And, um, to be fair, Elden ring, like, um, the story, it's, it's, it's good. And the lore is good, but the base story itself isn't really anything like super original. It's a very chosen one esque kind of story.
2: Oh yeah. It's, Uh, Pretty similar to kind of like a hero's journey.
1: Yep, exactly. It's just kind of like you are the chosen one. Go find the Elden Ring and beat mm-hmm. a bunch of bad guys to find it. You know, it's like, that's pretty much the story. Like there's not like, yeah, it yeah, goes deeper than that.
2: It's it's a hero's journey combined with an underdog trait.
1: Right. So, I mean, you know, it's not like the most complex story in the world. Like the game mostly thrives on its world, its lore, uh, that you discover along your journey, um, you know the the bosses are just an absolute joy to fight. Um, that's where the game really shines. Elden Ring is just not a game that's built just for experiencing a story, but you know there's yeah. other games out there for that.
0: I, I feel you know? like if you're gonna have that big open world and you're going to allow your characters to explore. At their own rate and in their own way and in the order that they choose, you have to pull the story back and make it as simple as possible because a story has very set points that happen in a certain order.
2: Right. And having triggers like that in a video game kind of forces your hand. I know uh, I was talking with one of my friends who is a game developer and he was talking about how he hates doors <laughs> i remember you telling me about that how like programmers hate doors yeah it's because like a door is a trigger and it's like okay is it a loading zone what's on the other side can they see through it you know anytime that there's something interactable like that that could be used in a variety of different ways now they have to consider all of the different ways that it's going to have to interact with the rest of the game And whenever you start adding more and more and more doors or transitions or loading zones and stuff like that, it gets very complicated very quickly. (laughs) But I feel like uh, what you were saying where you have to strip back the story, I think that's why they have these non-centralized kind of quests just kind of strewn about because you could do all of them or you could do absolutely none of them. But in terms of the way that you interact with the world, it's not going to influence the the overall thing but i think the thing that i think stands out more i think i think i think i'm saying it a lot uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm turning into the little engine that could yep but the concept here is that each of those quests that you complete influences your experience on the world instead of like how in uh Skyrim, one of my biggest gripes was you help with like the civil war between the storm cloaks and uh, the Imperials. Yeah. And yet it didn't really feel like anything
1: changed. Yeah, nothing really like it doesn't really feel like your actions are that influential on that quest line.
2: Right. But for Elden Ring, even though your choices in completing these quests and stuff doesn't necessarily influence things on a world scale, you do see these characters thank you, give you rewards, or they may move to another area and then you bump into them again and you're just like, oh, hey, what's up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice to <laughs> see you again.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it, and I think that's the thing that makes it more satisfying for me is that whenever I do interact with them, I do see that element of change and influence on what happened in the world, at yep. least from my perspective. Well, side quests are not meant...
0: To alter the game world at all. That's why they're a side quest. They're meant to alter the player, and mm-hmm. what you take away from that is a richer experience for what you did or did not do in that side quest. That, that's that's really that that's why games like this are so simple. Like stories that are in games like this are so simple. You fill in the complexities with the choices and decisions that you make along the way,
1: and it makes it a personal
0: journey. Yep. yep
1: and that's what it ultimately boils down to like you it, it, rather than um rather than being told a story you are creating your own story yep and i
2: know this might sound a little like cliche or hokey um but honestly i feel like this is the kind of game people were chomping at the bit for coming out of covid yes yeah i can We've kind of been see that. cooped up we want to go on an adventure <laughs> <laughs> And this delivers that experience.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. So It's like how uh, Animal
2: Crossing came out right at the perfect time in the middle of all this. like, oh, we're going to be at
1: home. We're going to be comfy. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Elden Ring. Yeah, where, where Animal Crossing came out at the time when, you know, us like isolating ourselves was just starting. So we needed a way to interact with our friends and spend time with our friends. Elden Ring is coming out in a time where everyone's anxious to get out of their homes a lot more and they want to go do stuff. And so now you have this game that allows you to just kind of go out and discover stuff.
2: On a grand scale. Uh, I think that's oh, yeah. the big thing.
1: Yeah. It is on a very grand scale. Like, cause I think because <laughs> like, it's honestly impressive how massive this game is. Cause like, I remember when we were streaming it, I told you uh, about like when you go to the next area of the map and you're just like, wait, there's other areas of the map you, you you're just like i thought like this is like this map isn't the whole map i'm just like heck no dude you're just like on one tiny speck of it yeah <laughs> it's a big map yeah I, yeah cuz i think now you've seen how big the map actually is and you're just like Oh no! I, I've only I'm about like
2: 25 hours in, and I've only explored the second like area. Wow! And I know I still haven't fully explored like the first zone. And like I think that's one of the things I love about the game cuz I unintentionally bypassed the first story boss and I ended up killing the second story boss unintentionally first and then I went back and killed the first one. <laughs> 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 it's true. Just just cuz I was exploring, I was crawling around like every cave and ledge and finding you know other areas that i could travel through and then it was like oh there's a big castle well i went in there and i was like well there's a lot of stuff i don't want to deal with just yet so what's over here and i ended up just going around the castle (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) this like like little alcove thing that's easily overlooked but you can actually fully bypass the castle if you want to
1: yep and it's just you combine that with just the unique things that you come across like as you're exploring like like you, you were mentioning this earlier, where like, you know, the game has like these people who are just giant pots, <laughs> and it's just like, wait, there's giant pot people. Yeah, I, I want to know more about these guys. And then you have bosses, like one of the story bosses, like um, he has a first and second phase. In his first phase, he's just like a he's like a dude with an with a couple of axes with a bunch of arms like latched to him. And then when he goes into his second phase, he chops off one of his arms. And then shoves it into like the head of a dragon, takes control of it. And now he has a, a dragon head arm that breathes fire. It's like, holy crap!
2: <laughs> like yeah, just, that's how you do a boss boss like phase transition.
1: Like just crazy stuff like that that you just discover in this game. you're just like, I can't wait to see what else I see that's in this world.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing that I think is most bewildering about the game so far is like the UI is minimalist, but what actually happens in-game is somehow always one-upping itself. Elden Ring's a heck of an experience, man.
1: <laughs> it's it, But it is very, very different. And, you know, it's not going to appeal to everyone.
2: Hmm, um, but it doesn't need to, and I think that's exactly. the mentality that... Mainstream developers need to get out of their head because that was one of the first things I learned whenever I worked in food service. Everybody has different tastes. Nobody's gonna like the same burger. Nobody's gonna like the same food. Same thing mm-hmm. is going to happen with movies and video games with you know visual media and content. Like I uh, you know I like comedy, whereas my wife likes you know uh, things that are more dramatic or involved in the story. And so it's just you know everybody's going to have different things that they gravitate towards.
1: Yep, and Elden Ring is just one of those things that's just you know for a specific kind of audience and that's okay. Yep.
0: Well this has been so, a an enlightening discussion for sure. We we've kind of hopped around from
1: topic to topic. But <laughs> we really did. But it, it's nah. it's it's a really it's a really interesting like bunch of topics. The core of what I wanted to talk about was not what like the exact things that the developers said on Twitter. It was more the conversation that it kick started. The larger sco- scope of like topics that this led into and it really is it really does go into a lot of interesting ideas of like different kinds of games that can exist alongside of each other you know just like just because you have established formulas that work for a lot of people doesn't mean you can't have also games like Elden Ring where things are drastically different people's
2: design philosophies are going to change based off of your experience and what you understand video games to be
0: Exactly, yeah. so. And formulas have to change over time and evolve in order to prevent themselves from getting stale. Unfortunately, we as human beings hate change. And so true. when we see true. formulas change, we immediately say, that's not a Souls game, or that's not a Zelda game, or that's not a Pokemon game. But we have to allow ourselves to accept change and go into these new experiences with an open mind because you never know you might actually enjoy the things that they have made for us
1: yep Yep.
2: i actually i have a poster that i'm going to be hanging up uh at my job uh it just has three words on it innovate not stagnate
1: i like that 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 yeah that's good Very simple,
2: very straightforward, but that's what you got to do, especially in an artistic industry like Mm -hmm. this, like video games, movies, any kind of visual communications kind of industry, motion graphics, all that stuff. It all applies to where you have to keep adding new spices to the uh, mixture or else it's going to end up falling flat eventually because people will get tired of it. That's why we don't eat the same meal every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you could, like, it is possible to live off of one meal, but at what
2: cost? Too much of a good thing in excess. Well, thanks, guys, for this this wonderful discussion. I, this was this was really great. And
0: thank you, everybody, for joining us today. If you'd like to keep up with what we're doing and learn more about ourselves and our podcast, you can find information on our website at insertgamepodcast.com, where you will also find links to our Twitter and YouTube channel. As for me, I'm going to go, and I'm going to play something great. It may not be Elden Ring,
1: but uh, it'll be fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> Oh man, like let me tell you, man. Like it's if Breath of the Wild Two does come out this year, it's going to be really hard choosing what my game of the year is. (laughs) Oh, I I
2: am curious to see if that happens because that's the one game awards I would be very like. I want to see what happens.
1: (laughs) This year's game awards are going to be very interesting. (laughs) I look forward to seeing what happens. But in the meantime, you guys take care. Have a good one, everybody. (laughs)
2: I wanted to add a a long clean break so you can cut that out no it's it's staying